Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's sermon podcast series. Each week we'll be streaming our sermon from within the sanctuary just for you. Join us this week as Dr. Tim Green explores the question of why there's so much violence in the Old Testament. And all God's people said, don't you just get sick of all those modern courses and weird translations? I I got a friend that said, I get so tired of singing those songs. You just keep repeating, keep repeating, keep repeating. Come on, get to the point. Just do it. I get sick, don't you? And this translation, I mean, why stick that in there so often? Just get to the point. The only problem is that is what the Bible says. You know what I'm going to do? If you're one of those that hate repetition, I want you to hate me to pieces this morning. Say it with me again. Ready? For his steadfast love endures forever. Some of you didn't open your mouths. You said, I'm one of those repetition haters. Come on, let's do it again. Let me just mention to us why. Why this psalm? Because what they're saying is stitched everywhere in our story, O oh, later generations. In the good times and in the bad times. In the times of blessing and in the times of exile. In the times of joy and in the times of sorrow. In the times of pre-COVID, COVID and post-COVID and whatever's after post-COVID. His steadfast love endures forever. I want you to say it with me. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too modern. You're not too postmodern. You're not too liberal. You're not conservative. If you're a child of God, I want you to say it with me. Ready? His steadfast love endures forever. Say it with me one more time. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, and you know what? In this series of questions, I am so glad on this beautiful July, just laid back Sunday, I get the easiest topic of all questions that were asked. Why is there so much violence in the Old Testament? Can I go ahead and give you the answer? For the very same reason there's so much violence in the world today, and we blame half of it on God. Amen? You're dismissed. That's called the cliff note version of the message this morning. And actually, that is the answer. But I want us to take a few moments for those who are a little bit more into cliff notes to make a journey with me. Have you ever either played the game or seen it played? And if I were a betting man, I'd say, you've played it sometime and didn't even know you were playing it. It's called... Good cop, bad cop. (laughs) I heard some giggles. I have sat through so many meetings on the sacred hill, and I've watched people play good cop, bad cop. You've been involved in business. You know where that idea of good cop, bad cop comes from? It comes from interrogations. 
And it goes like this. You're being interrogated. Two cops are in there with you. One of them, the big old bully. We're going to send you up forever. We're going to burn you. We're going to take you down. I mean, they just set you up. Then suddenly there's the good cop. Now, 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 now calm down. You know, maybe, maybe just, you know, maybe just a uh, little time out, go to the corner. And, and by the time the interrogation's done, the person is thanking them. Oh, without even realizing it. The good cop. Oh, you saved my life. You didn't do what the bully did. Okay, you see it in business meetings. This is warrior, you know, the nice thing about being in the journey of life I am now. Now, obviously, I've not seen her up the Holy Hill for a few years. <clears throat> but you sit in meetings, and you can tell. Good cop, bad cop got together. Bad cop. Well, I think we ought to do this. this is the way we ought to go. And I mean, it's just like horrendous. It's awful. Good cop then says, well, but you know, maybe if we just would do it this way. And suddenly, everybody in the meeting is saying, oh, that sounds wonderful. They would have never said that sounds wonderful to the good cop if the good cop had spoken first. But the bad cop sets the stage. You know, there's one other place they claim. I mean, I don't personally know this for obvious reasons. But they claim that even though it may not be decided by parents, that sometimes good cop, bad cop is even played in the home. Yeah? I see a few of you nodding your heads. It's kind of like, kid, we're going to ground you for the next five years. And suddenly the good cop parent comes along. No, let's ground him for just one year. Oh, thank you. That kid would have never said, oh, thank you for a year of being grounded. Hadn't it been first for the bad? Everybody with me? Well, you know where else we play good cop, bad cop? All the time. Yep, for 39 books, there's this God. He just longs for people's blood. He's always warning you, I'm going to judge you and I'm going to punish you and I'm going to send you to somewhere awful. At that point, it may have been worse than hell itself, to Babylon. And then about 40 books into the Bible, the good cop comes along. Well... Let's just calm down now. I know you're, you're, the, you're God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, but let's create a second stanza in the Apostles' Creed about the good cop. Come on, you all can grin with me on that. And so suddenly what we end up with, and y'all in case you're saying, well, you know, we might do that today, but that's relatively new. No, it's not. For 2,000 years, I promise you, 2,000 years, the people of God have been playing good cop, bad cop. The bad cop of the Old Testament who basically kind of beats you up and curses at you and, and warns you and scares you to death and tells you how bad everything is. And then suddenly the good cop of the New Testament who comes and fixes everything. Hmm. Can I go ahead and give away a second answer? And you know, by the way, this is either up in the front of many Christians' minds or it's way back in their minds that they don't quite know what to do with the good cop, bad cop of the Bible.
And so whoever submitted this question, thank you. It's time the church of Jesus Christ start talking about the elephants in the room and not just sing happy songs to the good cop. If we can't be honest about God, what can we be honest about? So let me give us another end to this journey we're going to make these next few minutes. Actually, a little over 1,800 years ago. That's kind of a long time. That's like 200 years after Jesus, right? There was a Christian, a Christian, deep, actually an evangelist, deeply devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. His name, he's a big name in, in church history. Again, I want to say it again. He wasn't an infidel. He was a Christian. His name was Marcion. And Marcion, playing good cop, bad cop, and it had been played even before Marcion, but it's been played for the 1,800 years after Marcion. Marcion, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, for those who might wanting to be keeping that in your mind, Marcion. Playing good cop, bad cop, this is what he concluded. There is the creator God depicted in the Old Testament. And that God is a demagogue. That God is an angry God. That God is only out to destroy people. Remember, this was a Christian. He was an evangelist. He traveled spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Marcion said that actually that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth that the church confesses, was actually a lower God. But then there was the supreme God who had remained quiet. And finally, the supreme God who is the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of grace, who had remained relatively quiet. The supreme God sent Jesus. And for all practical purposes, what Jesus did is brought all glory to the supreme God. Therefore, here's what Marcion concluded. By the way, parentheses. And, and let me just say, I, I, I mentioned to Pastor Sean, uh, and I don't know if this is going to be Preaching, teaching, or I guess when you're doing Bible, it kind of feels like both. But today will be a little bit of preaching, a little bit of teaching, a whole lot of let's engage in the Bible. Truth is, there's a whole lot of Marcionites today. Because here's what Marcion concluded. I really, really, really like most of what the Gospel of Luke says about Jesus. And so he put together his own version of the Gospel of Luke. Now he said, actually, Matthew, Mark, and John, they're a little too connected to that, to that lesser God. So that's not going to be in the Christian Bible. Parts of Luke, the parts that I like. And then there's ten letters of Paul. And Marcion loved, he was what some people called a Gnostic. He loved Kind of these contrasts, so righteous, unrighteous, good, evil. And he felt like Paul was doing a whole lot of that kind of stuff. And so he said, we'll have my version of Luke. 
we'll have the ten letters of Paul. And I don't think Marcion would have quite said it this way, but it's Tim's southern way of saying it. But for pity's sakes, we will not have an Old Testament. In fact, that was one of the earliest Christian Bibles. Luke, parts of it. The ten letters of Paul. 1,800 years ago. Good cop, bad cop. Let me let you in on a secret. Well, it's not too much of a secret. 1,800 years ago, my friends, Marcion was determined by the church to be a heretic. Now, while that doesn't mean much to us these days because we got so many sources we go get our information from, we don't know what's heresy and what's not heresy. But 1,800 years ago, heresy meant this will never again be taught in the Christian church. In fact, let me take it a step further, and I want you to rejoice with me on this. Jesus Christ, for one, does not represent some other God. Amen? Number two, what we see in Jesus. Oh, Jordan, man, this almost makes me want to dance with you. This is such good news. What we see in Jesus is not a 33-year interruption in the nature of God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say it again. This deserves a big amen. It is not that for all eternity God was one way and said, you know, I think for 33 years I'm going to go down to earth and I will forgive and I'll be loving and I will preach sermons on the mount. And then after 33 years I'll go back and be the big bad bully God. Amen. Jesus, now catch it again, is not a 33-year interruption in the nature of God. You want to know <coughs> what the God of the Old Testament looks like? Look at Jesus. I didn't hear any amens there. I'm going to say that one again. Y'all, this is huge. The church has got to be told the truth about God. Jesus didn't fix God. Jesus didn't change the nature of God. Who God has always been is who God was in Jesus and who God will always be. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen, amen, amen. You got it? I believe it. And I love it. I think for the rest of this message, you and I are going to talk together because I feed off of you. <laughs> uh, and so, in light of that, by the way, just for those who like a little bit of what happened about 200 AD, person by the name of Tertullian, and I know we don't have a book of the Bible called Tertullian, but we do, you know, the, the, the fellowship that Trevecca Community Church is a part of believes that God has continued to work in the life of the church. Sometimes we call it the tradition of the church, and we consider, all Christians consider Tertullian a part of that. He wrote a 
five-volume treatise. I mean, that's, you know, that's a set of books I don't think I would ever work through. And the title of those five volumes was, are you ready? Against Marcion. <laughs> Y'all, it was a big deal. Can I say it one more time before we kind of apply all of this? Jesus did not fix God. I'm going to be 100%, not Nazarene, I am Nazarene. Not Wesleyan, I am Wesleyan. Not North American Christian, I am a North American Christian. I'm going to be 100% Christian here. What we see in Jesus is who God always was, who God is, and who God forever will be. Therefore, we read all of the Bible through Jesus Christ. Now, in light of that, let's just kind of focus in for just, just a few remaining moments. A few remaining moments preacher talk, okay? What is this really... Well, maybe the question. So why all the violence in the Old Testament? You know, that question connects so beautifully to last week's question. What is sin? And not to rehearse what we heard last week. What is sin? But let me just remind us that the opening of the Bible, Jordan, you know this. I'm only calling on you because sometimes I like to preach talking to people I know. The Bible begins... With this picture of the creator. Now hear this. Doing one thing. Let me, let me say it this way. Creation in the Bible is not first about the sovereignty of God that makes us say wow. Creation in the Bible is about the grace of God that opens room for everybody else outside of God i got to say that one more time. This is huge, you all. Because when we talk about creation, it's kind of like, wow, wow, who can make the lightning bolts go there? And who can put the trees there? Y'all, Genesis 1 and 2 is not first a story that says, come on now, y'all, say wow. God's going to wow you with God's sovereignty. What Genesis 1 and 2 is about is all there was was God. There was nothing else. But suddenly God decides to make room for you, for me, for animals, for trees, for sun, moon, and stars. Everybody with me on this? And so God makes room for the other. And when I say the other, I mean something besides God's self. And when God does that, so from now on, Jordan, you go tell all those songwriters in Christian writing. Don't just write creation songs that talk about sovereignty. Creation is ultimately about God's grace. And then maybe we'll come to figure out that sovereignty is grace. And grace is sovereignty. But suddenly something happens. We heard about it last week. The best way I know how to cut to the chase is this. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He goes, I don't, I don't know if we talk quite enough in the church about this. 
A lot of times we kind of see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as, yep, God put, uh, kind of like a parent putting a cookie on the, on the cabinet just before dinner saying, I'm going to test you, don't you eat that cookie, kid. That's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is God's own divine vulnerability saying, I have determined what is life-giving. I have determined what is good. I have determined if you're going to live in this orderly creation with me and with all the rest of creation, with humans, I have determined what is appropriate and I have determined likewise what is not appropriate, what is life-taking, what will not nourish life. But I am going to give you the prerogative because I trust you enough. I love you enough. I would never treat you like a puppet on my divine hand. You can take the capability of your determining for yourself what is life-giving, what is nourishing, what is appropriate, what is right. And likewise, you yourself could determine what is not appropriate, what is not life-giving, what is not right. And y'all, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Isaiah 5.8 says it really, really, really well. It takes us right back to this story. Isaiah says, oh, woe to all of you who call good evil and evil good. From Genesis 3 on, what we humans have done because God trusts us enough that we have the prerogative to decide for ourselves what is good and life-giving and appropriate and what is not good and not appropriate and not life-giving. Isaiah really sums it up well. What God calls life-giving, we call, nope, that's not appropriate. What God calls life-taking, we look at it and we say, no, that's actually pretty good. And y'all, if I can just be honest, friend to friend, since this is home church for me, this is a whole lot bigger than those three, four, or five dirty things that we all spend our time talking about. This is things like, how do we use power in our life? How do we use authority in our life? How do we engage in relationships with other people? How do we use or misuse or even abuse other people? This is not just those three or four dirty things that we check off and say, yep, I'm calling good what God calls good. Y'all, this is like the big stuff of life. And so, here we go. And this is kind of, honestly, this is the answer. If we humans, the human race, are calling appropriate and life-giving what God is calling not appropriate and not life-giving, but life-taking. And we call what God understands to be in God's divine mind not life-giving, not appropriate. But we call it fitting and life-giving. Are you ready? Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 take place. And you know what the word... Well, let me just remind us what those are. Gender begins to dominate another gender in an abusive way. Brother begins to kill brother and sister begins to kill sister. 
Like Lamech, we take, I'm just going through Genesis 3 through 11, all right? Like Lamech, somebody hurts our feelings, and so the rest of our life, we're going to seek revenge on them. And then the word begins to appear. Are you ready? You hear this a lot in the news. It's actually the word in the original language of the Old Testament. The word is this. I, I would almost bet if I were a betting man, most of you have heard this word in the news. The word in the original Hebrew text is Hamas. You know what Hamas means? Violence. From Genesis 6 on, the word appears over and over again. And violence fills the earth. Well, no wonder violence fills the earth. What is violence? Violence is abusing and taking the life of others. But no wonder abusing and taking the life of the others. But it actually seems good and appropriate and right to me and to my people and to my group that I have an affinity with. But suddenly we begin to engage in that actually thinking. Think with me. This is the dilemma. This is good. This is right. This is the appropriate thing to do. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Hear what I call good. Hear what I call life-giving. But suddenly when we run one track and God's running the other track. Hamas breaks out. And so what does God do? <laughs> Y'all, I know, this subject... It's like, where are we going to go in the Bible to find a proof text about violence in the Old Testament? We, we can't. We just got to figure out where did it come from? How did it start? And how has basically nothing changed in 4,000 years? Because to read Genesis 3 through 11 is like reading the newspaper today. I know, 90% of you just asked, what in the world is a newspaper? It's what you read online on paper. Finally, in this story, you know what God does? Okay. I've had it. It's done. I'm going to wipe it all out. In other words, now hang with me here, okay? Don't you dare fall asleep right now or you're going to think, okay, so God gets into all this violent stuff. And so you know the story. It's the story of the flood. It's the story of the chaos that breaks out. Are you all ready? This is a good word. This is amen, if not, if not clapping for God. When it's all said and done, God, my TCC family, God hangs up his bow. I didn't hear a single amen. You know the covenant God makes, the first covenant in the Bible? This is what he says. Now hear, hear it really closely. I will never do that again. Now there's a parenthesis I want to put. I, I want us to correct it, y'all. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, that, that's God saying just he'll never flood things again like this. But oh, God's going to destroy again all the time. Y'all, what we're missing there. You see, in the ancient world, when this was written, the rainbow and lightning bolts were the arrows. Were not just about rainstorms and floods. It was about any divine activity of violence and destruction. 
When God hangs up the bow, God is saying, I will never fix the human problem again through terrorizing people or through participating in their violence. Those days are over. All things are becoming new. And at that point, God begins to make other covenants. Covenants with a barren woman, I'm going to give you kids. With a landless man, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to do it for one reason. Not to curse the world, but to bless the world. And he calls the community into existence at Mount Sinai. He's delivered them from captivity. He's provided for them in the wilderness. And he gives the same commission to them. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, a set-apart nation for the sake of the entire world. In other words, hear it, hear it, my friends. This is celebration news, not just of the Old Testament, but of the very nature of God from the beginning of all time. God has hung up the bow. God is not shooting arrows at you or the church or the city or the world. God has gone a different path and it's called the path of blessing for the sake of the world. Now, there's an elephant in the room. I'm not talking about those of us like me that became elephants during COVID because I didn't know what else to do but eat. And the elephant in the room is this. But what about? What about those texts where the people go into cities and they burn everything down to destroy everybody? You know, I, I'd like to, and I, I know for the sake of time, this might just mean, I don't know, we need to have further discussions outside of a service. I'd like to read you a statement that, that came through the, the community to which Trebekah community belongs to, the Church of the Nazarene, just about eight years ago. Then I want to make a comment about it, okay? Here it goes. Really listen closely. And I'm asking you to use your minds as well as your hearts here, okay? Faith is not only felt, it is felt, but it also is reflected upon. It's taken deep into our very inner being. So I want you to hear this statement. We do not believe that divine inspiration cancels out human authorship. Nor do we believe in a mechanical idea of inspiration in which authors' minds were blotted out and they became mere puppets. The Bible is not to be treated as an almanac or a magic book or a textbook on history and science. It is truth expressed in the thought forms of the ancient world in their culture, their context, their geography, and their language. I only read that because I want us here. This is just Tim talking elephants in the room. Okay? We just don't, you know, I see Dr. Talmadge back there. We have these great gatherings every four years called General Assemblies, and great decisions are made. We talk about what we believe. The only disconnect is then we get back to our local churches and we don't talk about this. 
And when the elephant's in the room, we need to talk about what do we Christians believe. So all of those stories, and I'm cutting to the chase here, okay? All those stories of going into the land. And there is, in many of your Bibles, it's translated, utter destruction. Utter destruction. Hang with me here, okay? I promise you. We're going to wrap it up quick and do the pinnacle of our worship and gather at the table. Utter destruction. Or Saul not doing utter destruction. Or Abimelech not doing utter destruction. I've yet to see a study Bible. I for sure have yet to hear the church talk much about this. And I'm going I'm to throw you in a, a word here, okay? This isn't like to be cool, I promise you. But that word throughout the Old Testament translated, carry out utter destruction. Why didn't you do utter destruction? For one, it was prevalent in the world, the entire world, in the culture, in the mindset of 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. But the word, here we go. This might be a good one for those of us having allergy trouble. Let me try to pronounce it without getting anything wet. Harem. H-E-R-E-M with a great bit <laughs> on harem. Next time you've got something you need to get out, just tell them you're speaking a little bit of Hebrew. <laughs> harem. That's the word translated in all these stories. Go into the land, do this, do this, do this. Harem. Harem for our biblical ancestors was this. It was less about just go kill violently the theology of this harem. Consistently is when you do anything in the name of God, O people of God, don't you ever do it for what you can get out of it. Don't you ever say, well, I did this good thing for God, but I think I can take a little bit of this, you know, the, the remnant off of it for myself. Y'all, that is the notion of harem. What we read is simply this thing, man, go kill, go destroy, go wipe out, go get rid of. Again, the only reason I read that Nazarene statement is we've got to realize, y'all, nobody's telling us this. We deserve to know the truth. Harem. It's not only practiced 4,000 years ago. It's practiced today in certain religions. Harem is a part of what's called holy war. And holy war is saying if you do anything in the name of God, you don't keep something back for yourself. Now, I know what I'm doing right now, Jordan, is probably opening more of a can of worms than anything. But y'all, I want us to hear, and I want us to hear carefully. One, we cannot separate harem from the ancient world which every nation, every people was practicing harem. Two, we need to ask ourselves the question, where today is Tim Green? fighting the battle of the Lord to get something out of it for himself. At that point, God would say, Tim, remember Haram. 
you never participate in the activity of God to hold something back for yourself. Y'all, can I just be dead honest, preacher honest with you right now? There's two or three things more I wanted so bad to say, but we got to get on to small groups and Bible studies and Sunday school. But there is one thing that I cannot leave out. So let me just remind us, one, the very nature and character of God did not change with Jesus. Jesus shows us who God has always been. Therefore, we have to read any text in the Old Testament in light of not a Jesus who changed God, but in light of. This is the nature of God from the beginning. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger. We read this in Exodus 34. It's all about the glory of God. Forgiving sins of every imaginable kind. That is God pre-Jesus, in Jesus, and post-Jesus. Two, the church decided a long time ago we can't separate a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. Which basically says, therefore, church, in 2021, y'all need to keep talking this out. If it's all the same God and it's not good cop, bad cop, when questions arise, y'all, the church is the place to ask the questions. Three, we as a church deeply believe that not only was the Spirit fully at work in the inspiration of Scripture, but the Spirit worked through human beings at particular times, particular places, with particular understandings. And especially in light of today's subject, harem has to be talked about, what it was understood to be, and not just a God who says, I don't like those people, go kill them. But finally, don't you love that word? Is there a thread throughout the Old Testament that just consistently runs through it? Almost like a creed, like we do every Sunday morning. We all know it. We, we memorized it. Actually, there is. You first find it in Exodus 34. Then you find it in Numbers. Then you find it in Nehemiah. I'm sure a book we read a lot, except when Pastor Sean was doing a series. Then you find it in the Psalms. You even find it in Jonah. When Jonah says, oh my goodness, I thought this creed only pertained to us. You mean it pertains to our enemies too? This is it, y'all. This is the most repeated line in the entire Bible. Old or New Testament. And it goes like this. You ready? The Lord, the Lord. A God who is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Keeping covenant faithfulness to the thousandth generation. And forgiving every imaginable type of sin. And then three different kinds of sin are given. Whether it was something you did on purpose. It was something that just you did. <laughs> Or even it's the remnant or the residue of what you've done. And I love that word, Tina. Oh, I love that word, forgiving there. Literally, it's the word lifting off. 
lifting off every imaginable type of sin. So how do our ancestors articulate that? Here we go. I know we've we got to go. Jordan, get us ready here. His steadfast love endures forever. Maybe the more important question than what about all that violence is, why in the world does God never, ever, ever give up? And all I would say is because that is the very nature of God. Then, now, and in the future. And so, what better way to celebrate? Oh, you know the routine. I'm going to give you a second so I don't spill it all over me too. Y'all, in just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer of blessing over the elements. But before we do, I want you to repeat the line with me at least a couple times, okay? I'm going to say it, then you repeat it. His steadfast love endures forever. I love it. Keep going. Let's follow him, okay? His steadfast love endures forever. One more time. His steadfast love endures forever. And y'all, that steadfast love. It's not that it started. I want us to hear this. It did not start with Jesus. It's always been present with us. But you better believe it, my friends. It culminated in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. In case you didn't believe that his steadfast love endures forever before that, no greater love can one show than to lay down their life for their friend. And so the invitation this morning, with your bread, with your cup, in just a moment, would you receive it? And would you receive it as the steadfast love that endures forever made flesh and blood in Jesus. And now, O oh Lord, we come to this most holy moment where we not only recall, but we participate in the night that Jesus was betrayed when he took the bread and he took the cup. He blessed the bread. He broke it gave it to his disciples. He blessed the cup and gave it to his disciples. And now we join those disciples and all who have come before us as we do the same. Bless, O oh God, now, today, this bread and this cup. And may it be for us a participation in the steadfast love that endures forever in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And now I invite you to recall that night that Jesus said to them and says to us, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat it in remembrance of me. Likewise, after dinner, he 
took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for the sins of many. Drink all of it. And as often as you do, I am with you. Pastor Jamie, would you come and would you lead us in prayer together? together Father your steadfast love endures forever we're so thankful for your servant Tim opening up our hearts and our minds to your message and your word thank you for the many many years that he has served you and served you well being your mouthpiece to speak truth to speak love into the very heart and lives of your people, students on campus, and those who are deeply in, in close to him and have been for many years. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather in this place to be reminded that you are love, that it endures forever and it does not quit. It does not end, it does not has no beginning and no end. It is forever, Father, and we're thankful for that. And as your people, the people that you have called to step out in that love, in whatever we do, we pray that you continue to bless us and bless us forward in the things that we do, whether we are educators or business people or pastors or medical professionals or whatever field we find ourselves or whatever things that we do in life and we constantly are in, in relationships that we continue to live out what you have done already through us and in the world in calling our attention to this steadfast love, this very nature that you are, and calling us into that so that everything we do is about that and that alone. Continue to move us forward to never give up in bestowing grace on the world and living into this steadfast love that when we encounter relationships that are difficult and hard or challenges that we run up against that, are, that we don't see the other end of, that we can proclaim, no, your steadfast love endures forever and therefore I go into those things. In dark places, in valleys of dry bones, that you were doing something new and that you are continuing to shed light in those areas and having us as your people join into that. And we're grateful for that, Father. Thank you so much again for that reminder of who you are. Father, we pray for this hill. In the very ministries that are a part of this hill, the healthcare center, the university, the towers, this church, and all of the people that make up this community, that you would continue to help us be your presence in the world to live that out. We lift up Crossbridge for them to continue the work, the powerful work that they do in the city of Nashville and beyond. Help them to continue to never give up on showing your love and your grace 
And as they begin and they finish their building in the next few months, then what you will do through that place, would you continue to bless them? Father, for teachers who are getting ready in the next few weeks to go back into the classroom and students as they live out what it is to be love in the world, would you walk with them in that? In all the things that we do, may we give you glory. And together as one congregation, we pray the prayer that your son, your very nature, not a lesser version of you, you and all of you, that your son Jesus taught us to pray is together we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil, and thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jamie. We are going to close with a song that could just sound like a little ditty, but honestly, Tina, I don't know why I just keep on looking at you and calling Tina, but Tina, as I was thinking about how do we wrap this up this Sunday, I couldn't get away. I wouldn't say the Lord wouldn't let me get away. I'll blame the Lord. You know, it may just sound like a ditty. And again, for those of you that just hate repetition, just mumble those Bible words over and over again. Then you feel better about it. It repeats a lot, but it's incredible. It basically says, would you stand with me? He never gives up. <laughs> but his love goes on and on and on and on. In other words, it's a 21st century version of his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Sing it. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you'd like to join us for worship next week, we have a couple options available for you. You're welcome to join us online at 8.45, beginning with our virtual lobby, followed by service at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Or you can join us on campus at 335 Murfreesboro Pike for worship at 9 a.m., followed by discipleship classes at 10.30.